Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. The University of Georgia continues to grapple with a difficult chapter of its history. A number of community and faculty critics say the administration mishandled the discovery of human remains under a school building, remains of people who appear to have been enslaved. After a protest this spring, police blocked a group of demonstrators from entering a campus building to meet with the president. Among the protesters' demands, recognition, redress, and reparations for the university's history with slavery. GPB's Grant Blankenship went to Athens to learn more. It's mid-afternoon a few weeks before the end of spring semester at the University of Georgia and a group of about 200 people, mostly students, are on the march to the administration building. The protesters want UGA to acknowledge publicly and in history classes that enslaved people built much of UGA's picturesque North Campus. This follows anger over how UGA handled the discovery of over 100 graves of enslaved people during the expansion of the building that houses the anthropology department. Most were reinterred, but eight remain buried underneath the foundations of Baldwin Hall. This has been 400 years in the making. Protesters want a living wage for all campus employees. They're also focused on the gulf between who attends the University of Georgia and who lives in the city of Athens. While 8% of the UGA student body is black, Athens at large is closer to 30% African-American, as is the state of Georgia. The protesters want full scholarships for any African-American student from an Athens high school or for any descendant of an enslaved person. The protesters want to schedule a meeting with UGA President Jerry Moorhead. We wanted to get the meeting scheduled on the books before fall semester. Moorhead's not in his office. He never speaks with me for this story either. But via email, his public relations office did explain why scholarships explicitly for African-American students are off the table. In the 1990s, UGA began a scholarship program for black students. But not long after, 15 white students sued in federal court, claiming the program violated the Civil Rights Act. UGA settled, and the students got a promise from the university system's Board of Regents that there would never be race-based scholarships at UGA again. Rochelle Berry is a graduate student at UGA and one of the reparation protests organizers. She says the consent decree shouldn't be an obstacle. There are ways to get at this that other universities who are in these same constraints have been able to do. Berry says instead UGA could focus on the economic challenges that often stand between black students and college. That's right. Like first generation college students more likely to be students of color, low income students. They don't have to take our language. We're not, we're not administrators, we're not lawyers. But I do think that we, our argument is that they do need to do something. That something was clear to Tim Rennick years ago. Rennick is the senior vice president for student success at Georgia State University. He says when he first arrived at GSU in the 1990s, it looked like the University of Georgia, very white. But that was changing. And the sad reality is, as we were becoming more diverse, we were enrolling more and more of the students, we were less successful in graduating. These were first-generation students, single parents, veterans. Low-income students, students of color. Many of the people Rochelle Berry was just talking about. And Rennick saw the world of traditional universities was not set up to work for them. They've still, at core, 
been these institutions that were designed on the assumption that people are coming in from privileged backgrounds who kind of know the way the world works and have the supports to guide them. So a little over a decade ago, Rennick and GSU began building their own supports, like the advising system. We have hired across Georgia State University over 100 additional academic advisors over the last seven or eight years so that we would have people on the ground watching students and intervening to support them if they were there to go off path. Then there's the Panther Retention Grant, up to $1,500 that lands in your bank account. No questions asked if you come up short on fees or for class registration. No minimum GPA required. These and other supports have paid off particularly well for African-American students. In the past decade, GSU has doubled African-American enrollment to just over 40 percent. The university graduates more black students every year than any other university in the nation. In short, Georgia State has done a lot of what the protesters are asking for at the University of Georgia, with one big exception. Tim Rennick says the programs at GSU are utterly blind to race. Our philosophy is that all students should be supported, all students should benefit from good advising and good financial aid and proactive interventions when they make a misstep. Based on their needs as individuals. So if Georgia State has created racial equity, Tim Rennick says it's just because he was chasing equity in general. So for the UGA protesters, would GSU-style supports satisfy as reparations? I came back to Rochelle Berry, the UGA grad student and one of the organizers of the UGA protest. So I think it's a yes and answer. Berry says yes because you have to be realistic about what's politically doable in the South. I think that it's politically necessary to say that these are race-neutral programs. But she says they're only race-neutral if race is only about skin, which, of course, it's not. Then we have to understand that, like, these markers for first-generation college student for a certain economic status, for a certain um, experience, actually does correlate to race. Barry says race and racism are skin plus the system we've built around skin. All the things they look for to know when students need help at Georgia State, they flow from that system. She says the steps to change the system are meaningless if we aren't honest about how it was built in the first place. How do we understand the reasons for this. So what Georgia State has done might work at UGA, but not without tackling history. And so like, I, I need the history of slavery to be told alongside the material benefits of, of changing the institution of education that has always supported racial violence. The protesters never did make an appointment to speak face to face with UGA President Jerry Moorhead. And meanwhile, the debate about how Georgia's university system at large will grapple with its history will continue. Graves, possibly those of enslaved people, were recently found under a grassy quad on the campus of the University of West Georgia. GPB's Grant Blankenship there, who's with us to, from their Macon Bureau to tell us more. Hello, Grant. Hey, good morning. So I want to go back to the, the issue that really came to the fore when the University of Georgia began renovating Baldwin Hall, uncovered remains of more than 100 people who were likely enslaved. So bring us back. I mean, what was it that about the university's initial response to finding the remains that people are still upset about? Well, the initial response was that uh, the university said, well, these were likely the remains of white people. This was inform informed by the uh, the original contract archaeology that was performed at the site. 
Um, once UGA figured out that, in fact, now these were African-American remains, um, then where the remains would be reinterred is what caused people to be very angry. They were buried, uh, the ones that could be recovered from the building, there's still some underneath the building. They were buried in the cemetery behind Baldwin Hall, which historically was a segregated cemetery. And so that caused a lot of um, uh, pain, I think, for a lot of people in Athens and a lot of anger. So that was back in 2015. You're reporting now. Four years later, the controversy still causing protests. And Rochelle Berry, who we heard from, co-organized the demonstration you covered. Expand, please, on this idea of wanting material and symbolic change. What is she looking for in the way of material demands? Well, the, the material thing is grounded in the idea that there are descendants of people who were never paid for their labor on the campus of UGA who still live in Athens, in the Athens community. So a piece of this I wasn't able to touch on in the story is that there's a labor chunk of this. They want all the people who work on campus in the physical plant, in the dining halls, to get a minimum wage of about $15 an hour. That's about $31,000 a year. Again, the argument is that these are the descendants of people who are likely unpaid for all the work they did to build the university so they could at least get a living wage. Um, for their part, UGA has said that they are raising the minimum wage on campus to a little over $12 an hour. That's about $25,000 a year. Now, the symbolic change piece of it is um, they want students at UGA to be taught just as a matter of their education that slavery helped build the university. I spoke to one student who was watching the protest off to the side that day and asked him what he learned about the history of slavery at UGA. And he said all he really knew was, and these were his words, uh, the civil rights era, 1950s-ish. Um, he'd never learned anything. In fact, all he knew about Baldwin Hall was because of what protesters had taught him. So they want to change to that. They want this stuff to be common knowledge and a part of the history that every UGA student carries around with them while they're at the school. Grant, just 30 seconds left. What does the university say about these demands for material and symbolic changes? Well, as you heard, there's a federal consent decree that rules out race-based scholarships, but they do point out to something they call their commitment scholarship program. It works sort of like the Panther Retention Grant. It's money for kids who are Pell eligible. Those are federal grants for low-income families. Um, but you have to apply for that money. You have to maintain it with a GPA. It's quite unlike the Panther Retention Grant, which just catches kids when they need it. Well, we know this story is going to unfold. GPB's Grant Blankenship, thanks so much for bringing us this tick in the chapter. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.